listening to this and a blessed day to you. This is Doc Protest Too Much, a Protestant historical theology podcast. I'm Reverend Andrew Christensen, and today we have a special guest, a good friend and fellow Episcopal priest, the Reverend Ben Madison. Ben is a priest in the Diocese of New Jersey, a contributor to Mockingbird, which we'll talk a little bit about this evening. Also, he is a TikTok star, which I'm going to, towards the end of the episode, I'm going to ask him about his literally his superstardom that he's risen to through TikTok. Um, <laughs> so welcome, Ben. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, it's a cold day here in New Jersey, but not cold enough for snow. So we're, it's disappointing, but otherwise I'm doing okay, you know? Right. Well, it's, uh, well, it's funny because it's like uh, 20, uh, 2021 um, is kind of a weird year as, as well, but it's funny because it's 70 degrees here. Um, where I am and like I'm sweating so because I'm still it was like 40 degrees this morning it's just weird so I don't know what New Jersey feels like uh to be honest but I figured um, out that my uh my heater has a has a, like a, a thing you're supposed to change like a filter that you're supposed to change oh really and I figured that out after three years of living here so um, oh, you you're talking about an air filter yeah yeah so I changed it yesterday and now I'm like I, I, my house is so hot I cannot like adjust it because it's like it got up to 80 yesterday and I was like, what is wrong? This thing's been broken for years. So it was all that, uh, that stuff. <laughs> it's detritus, the sin that packs itself in. Yes. Um, well, so I guess we could start off asking you about, uh, Mockingbird. Um, so Mockingbird for our listeners, um, we'll get the inside scoop on Mockingbird. Uh, from Ben himself, he's a contributor. He's written a few articles for it. From what I understand, it's they have a few podcasts. It's a, like an online blog, an online website. But yeah, go ahead and tell us a bit about uh, what they do. And yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so Mockingbird's a Christian culture blog. Uh, they've been up and running now for over a decade, which is kind of hard to believe, right? But they got sort of, they sort of got in on the early ground field floor of blogging and getting contributors doing all that stuff and it comes out of you know a group of folks i think most were at a at trinity uh seminary together who really felt this strong call and push to proclaim the gospel uh specifically a, a radical gospel of grace uh in the language and culture of the day so i think they do they post like two three articles a day monday through friday they've got uh at least, I think they have three podcasts, four, they have four podcasts because they had to do sermons. And uh, all of it is about connecting, you know, our lived experience with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So uh, they have a lectionary podcast that's phenomenal. It's like an hour and a half called Same Old Song. They do like a bi-weekly, sort of just like examining the ethos and talking about sort of their understanding of the world. And there's some other blogs too. So it's 
Yeah. Grace centric. Grace, yeah, the the, cent- the centrality of grace, um, and that's not, that's why they call it mockingbird because mockingbirds like repeat over and over their chirps or whatever sound a mockingbird makes, right? Mm-hmm. It's a quote from somebody that I should know that I don't know, um, <laughs> but yeah, the the idea is that uh, the the blog and the sort of the you know the group of folks are all about sort of endlessly repeating the message of God's grace for people who need to hear it. Yeah, I and it's my I have a funny story about how I came in contact with Mockingbird. I hadn't like known about it and um uh or I had not actually I realized later that I had read something kind of from Mockingbird, but I didn't know the connection at the time. I was um so when I did my CPE for our listeners, that's clinical pastoral education. Um that's where they put you in a hospital or a nursing home for, as part of your ordination process it's, it's christian you know, hazing for those christian who don't hazing, yes. christian hazing um and i actually had kind of a good experience with mine not everyone did but um but it was funny because i was in there with like there's like five of us in the group and like three of us were episcopalians actually and uh and they're all from different seminaries and uh and it was in milwaukee area where i did my cpe and so and and one of the other seminarians doing their CPE was a Neshota House um, student. And um, so, and and I went with him over to Neshota, like they had something going on and I crashed at his place or something like that. I don't remember why. I went with him there for something. And uh, we were hanging out with uh, this guy who was in the band As I Lay Dying at one point, <laughs> and, which for... Um, I don't know. It was, it was uh, I was going to like, when I thought about that, I'm like, I should talk about As I Lay Dying on the show. So As, I Lay Dying, <laughs> As I Lay Dying was a, uh, a metalcore band. That's funny. Cause like, how, what, when did you graduate high school, Ben? 2005. Oh my gosh. For the same year. So yes, that was literally in vogue. Then it was like, that was like, not, not like <laughs> a little bit earlier. Like, so metalcore, it was just like the genre of metal that was really popular at the time and it was different from new metal which was like five years before which was mm-hmm. like corn and lincoln park and limp biscuit that was baggy pants metal metal core <laughs> was tight maybe even wear your girlfriend's jeans type heavy metal and uh was kind of like right they fill the gap between like pop punk emo until you then you get like the emo revival right like I, i'm 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 well aware like i was never super into as i lay dying it's a little hard hard for me i transitioned very smoothly from like emo to indie rock indie folk right like a lot of bright eyes and iron and wine and all that stuff so. oh gosh i you know <laughs> i never got into any of that i mean now 94 hours is an awesome song by as i like that like that should be that should be the intro song to the doth protest i should buy the rights to 94 hours um it was so heavy but uh well it was it's just funny because like um that totally is not even a thing anymore. Like, and the, everyone thought like new metal was done. Metalcore is here to stay. And now metalcore is done. <laughs> so anyway. and, uh, that's how I feel about post-rock. Like I'm, I got super into post-rock. So we're going to have to circle back to your CPE story because we're totally side, side we're talking, about, sorry, talking about four like, post-rock. Ma- Mogwai and right. Godspeed you black emperor, like explosions in the sky. Like I still listen to that all the time. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. 
I, right? I actually um, made a tag group called uh, sounds like some kind of post-rock band slash thing. Like for any word, like actually made it. There's like two, there's like, it's a private, you search for it. I'm the, anyways. Um, <laughs> yes, I actually did that. So yes, back to Here's CP- a plug though. Here's a random plug. If, if, if you haven't listened to the Friday Night Lights soundtrack from the movie by Explosions in the Sky, it's one of the best albums front to back, like ever made. Yeah. It just is, okay. it is, it's the chillest, it's the best vibe, okay? I know, so. uh, I feel like Explosions in the Sky is from like my hometown, but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I'll have to look that up. Um, so, uh, and I hope as, well, and that, and, and I like it, I'm not like, like uh, disparaging any genre or artist. They may all listen to this podcast. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> so, Back to CPE. Um, yeah, this guy. There was this, he was he was he bl- he played in like As I Lay Dying for a while, and like then he and he was like a distant student at Neshota, and he and this was during the summer because was CPE, so he was at Neshota to like for this thing, and I was hanging out with him, and like and after we talked about, oh my gosh, you were in that band, wow, and then I talked, and then we started talking about like theology, it's things that seminarians do. They talk about you know so they they get into theology at some point, and then you know and um, he was talking about like he oh i mentioned kind of my lutheran background and like my anglican background and my lutheran background and how like in those 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 recent years at the time um leading up to that that i kind of felt like uh they were intersecting us like i was especially with like the grace piece that ben mentioned the centrality of the gospel of grace i felt you know, I, I, but anyways, so he was like, have you ever heard a mockingbird? And, uh, I was like, no. And he's like, oh, it's really cool. So, and he, he told me how it was kind of, it was connected with David Zoll, who was related to Paul Zoll. And he's told me about them. I was like, oh, that's really cool. And he's like, you know, it's, it's start. it's like a lot of like Episcopalians are involved in mockingbird, but it's also interdenominational. They have Luther, they had Chad Bird. I think he's written for I'm like, oh, that's really cool. I need to listen to it. And he's like, and theologically, they're a little more, they're on the Orthodox side or conservative mm-hmm. side, but they're not like angry commercians about it. I'm like, oh, cool. That's like this, like everything up my alley, right? And so it's like, and I was like, I can't believe, like, where has this thing been? It was like, it was literally like almost too good to be true. And then I went and checked, checked my, you know, so I've kind of read it since. And I kind of like how they try to speak to pop cultural things too. They bring, mm-hmm. they do like book reviews and movie reviews and they review albums out, you know, so, and they try to see how, and they try to apply the I guess the law gospel hermeneutic to all these various things of our world, which I think is really cool. Um, yeah. I was telling, I met a bunch of Lutherans on TikTok. I'm like part of a, clergy core on tiktok uh hashtag progressive clergy look us up um and like they always ask like how did you end up becoming episcopalian like you always sound so lutheran when you talk about about your theology and i was like well funny thing is i came to being episcopalian through to anglicanism through mockingbird by way of Martin Luther, Martin Luther, Gerhard Ferday, like all of these Lutherans uh, who, you know, all of the Mockingbird folks were inspired by because of the sort of the radical adherence to grace. You can imagine my surprise when I become Episcopalian after, which I've now been for what, almost 14 years. So, um, and like, I find out that like nobody considers himself a Protestant in the church. I was like, no, what am I doing? This is like, this is my... 
but, but yeah, so like Lutheran Anglicanism, like heavy, Anglicanism with a with a Lutheran spice, like an Emerald Lagasse, like bam. Yeah. Heidelberg Heidelberg Catechism, right? <laughs> well, it's funny because like uh, well, in other parts of Anglican Communion, the the Protestant character of it is pronounced or it's or it's a given even. So the Episcopal, I mean, for various historical reasons, you know, um, Protestant erasure. That's mostly a joke, but I say it all the time. Yeah, so. Right? <laughs> um, and the reason I started the show is kind of like, um, you know, Protestantism isn't a dirty word, you know, for, you know, trying to persuade some of my fellow Episcopal feelings that, you know, um, and it's part of our, if you, if you look in our prayer book, if you look at the language, mm-hmm. um, a lot of it is influenced by the debates of the 16th century. And that's a great thing because Church of England uh, largely navigated that through Cramner and Booster, which we have an episode on in a month, by the way. So there's a little plug in on that. But, um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's all good. But um, so the you know, long- so qu- another, another plug Sarah Condon, who writes for, she's on staff with Mockingbird. Yes. She writes for the month on. She's a priest in Texas. She has a phenomenal article, which name I can't remember off the top of my head, for Mockingbird about why the Reformation is a good thing. Uh, and I would, you know, I would plug that to all your listeners because it's it's phenomenal, right? And essentially, it's like the Reformation's a good thing because I get to be a priest, right? And like, are women priests imaginable in a world without a Reformation? I don't know. I don't know, right? And she's like one of the best. So, plug. yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that wouldn't be imaginable. I, I'll uh, I'll do I'll go ahead and put a link to that. Um, I'll go ahead and put a link to that. Uh, either you send me it or I'll find it. I'll put a link in our show notes. Um, Whenever I like mess something up and like I put corrections in the show notes, I put like links to a, if, if there was a book mentioned, I put the author title publication, you know, um, as we all should, you know, for doing that. But so, the, so I'm catching you off guard because I meant to ask you this in the pre-show, but you said something about Christmas Carol, Muppets Christmas Carol, like <laughs> a month ago. And with your permission, I'd like to share it because I think that'll be a good segue into our discussion on long gospel. Sure, sure. All, totally. right. All right. It was um, it was posted on Ben's Facebook, um, and I'll go ahead and read it. Uh, the most brutal, but also the most convincing thing in A Christmas Carol is the order in which Scrooge is given his visions. In Christmas past, he is reminded of his flaws, his humanity, and his need for a new start which is a low anthropology. In Christmas present, he is shown and experiences unconditional love that he neither earns nor deserves. This is the gospel. In Christmas future, he is confronted with the full burden of his actions and decisions, which is the law, which literally led to death and the subsequent rejoicing of those he hurt. It makes sense then that when he wakes up from those visions, then he immediately reverses course, not because he had these things in him in the first place, although at one time he might have, but because it's literally the love of people around him who love him in spite of himself, like Bob Cratchit, Tiny Tim, and his nephew, who make that change, who make that change a foregone conclusion. Uh, the call to repentance we hear from John the Baptist is doing exactly this, not so much convincing not so much convicting us of sin, which happens in the process, but calling us out of pain, isolation, and hurt in a world where the, quote, love is gone, unquote. 
into a world of redemption and reconciliation where, quote, love is found, unquote. Then you said something about, you, you were watching Muppets Christmas Carol, and that's what inspired you to write. Um, beautifully put. And now that we applied it, because you, you creatively applied that to the movie that you watch. And, that, and so maybe in the, from a theological standpoint, I guess ex, let's explain law and gospel. First, can you explain low anthropology? what and as that's a, so funny yeah um somebody literally asked me to do that yesterday because i use it all the time so the 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 most succinct um definition i have for low anthropology is believing that people are people and if i was forced to expand what i would say is right we have a tendency to always imagine or desire or want people to be better than they are and a low anthropology recognizes that people are people, that I'm a person and you're a person, and that as much as I want to be better than I am, the reality is that I am so often not. And if I'm really honest with myself, I'm usually a lot worse than I wish I was, right? So it's about, you know, a, a low anthropology, sort of meaning a low view of people, right? And I, it's especially important in our world because so much positivism and progressivism is baked into right an enlightenment understanding of people like john locke's whole tabula rasa right like you're an you're a you're a blank slate and we just write on it and we could write the right things and everything would be wonderful right like as much as our modern world says you know we are better than this the reality is we are not better than this <laughs> we might want to be better than this and that's a good place to start but we aren't right and acknowledging that is a low anthropology I always like to say, because some people don't like, I'll just like start talking low anthropologically around people and I get weird looks and like, like, wait. And then I just, I always go when I have to like, kind of like illustrate, I'm like, do you watch the news? Do you watch the news every day? Uh, I mean, I don't see how, um, and it's amazing because, and I think like, I mean, the news, obviously the news cycle is, is so much um, these days, everything's so instant. And I mean, it's just so different from the way it always was. But nevertheless, like, 10 years ago, there were like, it seemed like stakes were high. And if people just got their act together, and this is going wrong, and that is going wrong. And I mean, there's always been a doomsday aspect to the recent scandal of the day or the recent unrest of the day and everything. And I just feel like, and I'm not like saying, oh, that's just how way humans all, always are, so we can just live with it. But no, low anthropology, it realistically looks at, and it's theological, because it implies that we cannot save our own selves, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, that's uh, Jake Smith, who also writes for, uh, for Mockingbird and uh, does one of the podcasts. He always says this thing about like, you know, we're all like three days out of being the cover of the tabloid, right? And like everybody's on day two. Like that's, right? Like, like that's low anthropology. The, uh, like the whole transformation, like this whole narrative around cancel culture is hilarious to me because people are so surprised by it and it's because their anthropology is so high, right? If you can't immediately off the top of your head think of the thing that would totally blow up your life, <laughs> right if it suddenly became incredibly public and you didn't want that to happen your anthropology is probably not low enough 
Oh, or you right. probably don't know yourself well enough. Heck, I mean, I'll see like a, a timeline, Facebook timeline. I posted this in 2011. I'm like, oh, I'm deleting that, you know? <laughs> like, it's like... Delete, 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 delete. Right. <laughs> uh, oh. Facebook memories are strictly there to remind you that you are a sinner in need of God's unconditional grace. Yes. And thank God it is unconditional because the world, it is, the world does not know that unconditional grace. Mm, it, um, it, it cannot. It cannot. Um, so I guess, well, break in, in theological terms, the law and gospel contrast, I guess, explain, and it's not like they're not opposed to each other. I think that's the important thing we'll put in the, they're not opposed to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, the law and gospel um, way of looking at things, the law and gospel way of reading the Bible, um, I guess, uh, in your own way, I guess, talk a little bit about, about that. Yeah, so it's like, so I always see it as two sides of the same coin, right? Two sides of the same coin meant to address the issue of low anthropology, right? So long gospel comes from Martin Luther, right? As a way uh, that Luther used to examine and read scripture. And it, you know, it comes to Anglicanism by way of uh, Cranmer and, right, and Protestantism, and it is a very popular hermeneutic in American evangelical Anglicanism well into the early 20th century. Um, that being said, that was an ever-shrinking <laughs> group of people, uh, evangelical Episcopalians uh, in, the, in, the, in the 19th century. So, like, roughly the way that Luther did it, and there are books that you can read that are good about this that I'm not going to be able to tell you. Um, although, uh, Gerhard Friday's on being a theologian of the cross is one of them. That's really good. Um, right. The way that Luther looks at scripture is with these two poles, right? And it's probably best to understand them as poles because Luther's all about paradox, right? And it would be imprecise to call them like antithesis, like it's not Hegelian at all, right? There, it's not, a, there's no dialectic going on. They're in conversation with each other and they, they, they're the same thing, Right. And this goes straight to Paul, right? Is the, is the law, if it tells us, if it causes us to sin, is the law sin? No, absolutely. Meganito, right? So the law is understood in scripture as any of the coulds, woulds, oughts, shoulds, musts, right? The demands that are placed on us. And, right, this comes in several categories, right? This is like the ceremonial law. This is the right the religious demands and expectations that come at the end of paul's letters when he's writing to the churches this is the ten commandments right the ten commandments are like law writ large by the finger of god on stone tablets right thou shalt have no other gods before me right like if it sounds like it would be far more intimidating in the king james version it's probably law right and like the law gives us god's perfect expectation for people Right, that like if people could actually do it, if we were actually doing all the things that the law tells us to, um, the world would be better, right? We could be better people. But again, it goes back to that problem of low anthropology, right? We aren't better people, we're human. And even though we wanna be, we can't get there on our own. So to the woulds, shoulds, oughts, coulds, wants, musts, right? We get this word of gospel that says it is done, right? It's finished. That the whole demand 
and expectation and requirement of the law is finished in the work of Christ, in his perfect life, death, resurrection, and ascension, right? And that to a world burdened by woods and coulds, God speaks this emphatic word that says, I have done it for you. I will and am and have done it for you. And I will draw you to this finished thing, right? Um, and God does that through grace. Yeah, it's, I, and it's funny, as far as, um, there's a couple, I, I noted you mentioned Luther, um, a couple of the things I've read on, I, well, recently, um, I'm reading a book called Martin Luther's Theology, <laughs> pretty plain, straightforward title, uh, but it's by Bernhard uh, Losey, L-O-H-S-E, and it's a historical and systematic, like, he, he he's like, he's being like historical theologian, uh, which is kind of like tracing Luther in his life. And as his thought developed throughout his life and throughout his, you know, ministry and calling. And it's also a systematic treatment because it tries to best, even though Luther was not uh, properly a systematic theologian, it does try to really examine through his works and through his, right. You know, how, where his thought stood at any given point in time. And the part he, he, where he covers Luther's really development, of that hermeneutic and of course hermeneutic would be uh you define hermeneutic but i i i'm always interested when i when i hear what others <laughs> say how others define hermeneutic there's many Friends, ways this means that andrew didn't do his homework no i'm kidding hermeneutic is a way to understand something right it's a way to it's a way of reading a way of understanding the world uh that's how i always understand hermeneutic could be wrong or, yeah i mean for i mean simplistically you say oh it means interpreting it's kind of that you know uh but it's like a specific it's a lens right i was thinking about it as like lens through which you read or interpret or right it's like uh you know you can see the world through rose-colored glasses or you can be right a lutheran leaning anglican and see it through very dirty glasses but see uh, the soft glow of christ on all of it right uh, (laughs) it's a very as in a mirror dimly and, and don't, I mean, I hope our listeners don't uh, mistake us for being like pessimistic, you know, the world is evil, but it is. Um, <laughs> people are terrible. They yeah. are. <laughs> we are. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so, but the, the hermeneutic. Properly, so look, I, look, we're definitely not, I'm not a pessimist at all. I hope you can hear that in, in what I'm saying, right? I'm not a pessimist in the slightest. I just put the entire location of my hope of any goodness, of anything that is beautiful and holy and righteous and correct in this world, uh, in the seat of Christ, right? It, it doesn't come from me, certainly. So Amen. that's where my hope is unequivocally. Amen, man, that's beautifully put. Um, so yes, yeah, so, so Luther takes the hermeneutic, the lens, <laughs> the law and gospel lens, looking at the Bible, and he basically says everything in the Bible is either law or gospel. And, um, and that doesn't have to be binding. Can, that can be very, and, and again, so this way of like, this coinage of a, the, the, Luther coined this, you know, law and gospel. Okay. It wasn't around for 1500 years. Okay. Uh, but you still see, I mean, 
it, and you don't have to. I mean, a lot of Christians probably have never heard of seeing things in the way of love. So, like, that's the so, like, this is something that I would say about Luther's reading, right? And that sort of gives people like an overview because, again, because we're in the modern world and because everything is dialectic, right? Everything is poles, right? It always feels like law and gospel are in competition with each other, right? But if you look at like, if you look at the dichotomy, and I don't even like using that, right? But if you look at these poles of law and gospel, the very fact that there is law is in line with the gospel plan for God's redemption in the world, right? The fact that God would reveal God's self on Sinai and give this covenant and create this and establish this thing forever is itself an act of gospel, right? Of God stepping out of God's unknowability and coming to us fully. So that it's not right to say that they're in competition or they're poles because things can simultaneously and are often law and gospel. That what you find is when you read through this lens, through this hermeneutic, that exactly the thing that you're broken on, right? Exactly the ways that the law uh, crushes you is exactly the place where God is working in your life to make you whole. Right. And, there, and so it's, and it's, it's a, there's a unity in a sense. Mm-hmm. As long as the, the distinction is kept in mind, there is a unity there. And, and, it, and it corresponds, even though, yes, it's a brand new coined thing from Luther, it corresponds to things, first of all, that August, Augustine talked about, Augustine, Augustine, you could say whatever, I'm not, and, uh, and it corresponds to Paul. I mean, you can't, especially letters like Galatians and Romans from the Bible, where uh, Paul talks about, you know, being held captive under the law, no one can measure up to the law, but the saving gospel of Jesus Christ frees us. And it frees us to live into, you know, the law is no longer a demand because we're freed now. It's not a demand, but it's we're free to live into what we are as Christians. How For freedom, Christ has set us free. Therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, right? Galatians 5.1. Like the freedom that the law gives you is the freedom of play, right? It's the freedom of knowing that, you are not being judged or held account for the things that you do or don't do, but that you get this privilege, right? You get to do these things that you want to do, right? And Luther divides these things into, right? That Luther suggests, and I love this, that the, that the freedom that comes with Christ is a freedom to actually, for the first time, without self-interest, without self-righteousness, without sin, fully love God and your neighbor, Right. And that it's this powerful thing that like you have been set free from ever worrying about whether I'm supposed to do this or need to do this or have to do this for my own salvation or for the salvation of the world, because that has already been secured in, in Christ. So what what I, this is how I describe it to my congregation all the time is what would you do if this was true? Right. What would you do if everything Jesus said he finished and did was true and the, and the law was fulfilled and you got to pick whatever you wanted to do? for God, what would that be, right? What does that freedom feel like? Um, right, uh, yeah, it's, um, so, and it's funny because there was a quote I had seen, and so I don't think it's like, I don't think Christians have to know specifically, like, they, they don't have to know, like, in detail, like, what the, I don't think they've, they, they even have to, like, hear of the law and gospel hermeneutic because for 1500 years that wasn't like a established hermeneutical lens but nevertheless it was still there and i think as long as we understand 
how God's grace, um, how that works with, um, with his, not his expectation, I'm sick of using that word, but his, his plan, his designed plan will for us. Um, I think it's, you know, as long as we know, but so even though, uh, so anyway, I was going to move on to this quote um, from Leander, Leander Keck, who is a New Testament professor um, from Yale Divinity School. And I believe he's still alive, actually. Um, and uh, he's been around for a long time. But he, 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 we read this book in seminary called The Church Confident. And he wrote a little piece in there about like uh, church proclamation and, and the message that the church is giving to its people. And it was kind of a critique he saw in a lot of mainline Protestant churches and um, more liberal churches. And he said, quote, because much current theology has tacitly replaced gospel with law, it offers little basis for good news, except for the, the alleged beneficiaries of current class action theology. The classical Christian understanding of the gospel, the good news that Christ God has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves, has been replaced by the announcement that because the destiny of the world is in our hands only, we must work harder than ever to save it. Sometimes it is implied that it is even wrong to expect God to do it. But for whom is this good news? Where is the good news for the self that fails, that faces meaninglessness, despair, futility, as well as tyranny of disease and death? Can reconciliation with God really be found by involvement with good causes? In, far, in short, far too much theology today underwrites a striver's manual instead of a gift certificate from the God who, in Paul's words, justifies the ungodly, unquote. I had like goosebumps when I read that. I still get it when I reread it, but it kind of speaks, like, so I think whenever you kind of lose that sense of what the gospel really is, right? Because I hear a lot of churches talk about, like, we got to do some gospel business. We got to do the, the work of the gospel, gospel implications, which I believe is a thing. I mean, I believe that there are implications of the gospel for our social life. I, I get that. At the same time, I think I can easily devolve into a, a type of moralism, and I, and you see these moralisms on the right and on the left. I think on on in on the right in more conservative Christian circles, and we saw more of this growing up. I think, I think in the eighties and nineties, this was more a thing. You saw like purity culture. Mm -hmm. um, you saw. Um, I remember there was the whole. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm going to get into that, but it was kind of like or legalism. Legal are you know that just it's about not sinning, mm -hmm. right? It's you know about, that the number one question I get I get on TikTok all the time is X or Y a sin? Is it a sin to X or Y? Right. And I'm like, why do you care? Like, not not that I don't care about sin, right? Right. Like, <laughs> this is they they always say you know, well, Mockingbird always gets you know, everybody is always like, oh, that they're antinomians. Well, yeah, but like, are you even preaching the gospel if somebody doesn't? call you an antinomian you're no, no you're that's not. so true and explain what an antinomian was this so antinomian is like so hey could antinomians ever exist i don't know I, I i'm on the side of no so antinomian is greek for no law right the lawless ones and like <clears throat> i guess it, there was a sect a subsect of christians who were known as antinomians who were either like incredibly baseless like, like we're just like absolute monsters apparently but there's some question as to whether or not they ever actually exist or if it was just like a rhetorical argument right and 
Can anyone really be free from the demands of the law, right? Paul would suggest that when it's written on your heart, that like, uh, and I always make this, I say, unless you're a sociopath, right? Unless you are sociopathic, there is always something that is bothering you, regardless of how debased you are, right? Maybe you're just upset that you're not debased enough, right? Like I could have been, I could have made more money. I could have gotten more things out of people, right? But like an antinomian, when they, when they call Christians antinomians, essentially what they're saying is you give a warrant for sin, right? Like you just don't care. You don't, you know, if Jesus really finished everything, then nobody can possibly sin. And like, there's no, right. It's that, uh, it's the little Caesars commercial, right? There's no rules. And he takes his shirt off and somebody shouts, put your shirt back on. He says, there's one rule, right? Like that's, that's, ant- that's antinomianism confronted with the reality of the law, <laughs> Well, in um, antinomianism, historically, uh, it became a bit a reformation, a reformation era debate. Um, I have a book called, authored by Martin Luther, called "Only the Decalogue is Eternal," um, or not only the Decalogue. It's called "The Decalogue is Eternal." Not only. I don't know what I was saying there. Maybe because I was like thinking of, um, you know, dietary laws. Obviously, the Old Testament don't apply today. But um, Luther, uh, he confronted because there were some people, some of his friends, some of people who were with him during the Reformation that were part of Witten, but part of his reformation that really came out as as antinomians or or believe that uh, the law was totally don't done away with and, and luther argued no the law still still applies the ten commandments still applies today it didn't end with the old testament just as similarly you know law is not synonymous with old testament it's kind of a separate note and gospel is not synonymous with the gospels or new testament because luther believed uh the gospel there's gospel to be found in the Old Testament. This well, and like, I, I would note too that like, um, true antinomians, like it's super problem. It, true antinomianism is really anti-Semitism, right? Like if, you, uh, if, you're, if you're just outright saying like the Old Testament law has no value, like <laughs> dial it back, bud. Like that is like, you are, you are perilously on the, on the cliff right, that just right. leads to just like horrible anti-Semitism. But like, you know, yeah. I- it's, I just am not sure, you know, I think the way, the way I would describe, if someone started telling me that the law was bad, right, that is antinomianism, right? If you're going to tell me that, like, the Ten Commandments are bad, we're going to have to have a conversation, right? Like, maybe you are an antinomian then, because you're not really understanding the distinction between law and gospel. Because the Ten Commandments are good, right? Love the Lord, right? Uh, you know, have no other gods before me. Don't make graven images honor your father and mother, like all of these things we could, we should be able to universally agree upon. Like these are good things. And if you're then going to turn around and say, well, they're bad things because they convict me and I can never do them. So therefore that is bad. Like, okay, that's antinomianism. Right. But usually when people call you an antinomian, what they mean is, you know, you're friends with sinners. You let people sin. You're terrible. I'm like, do I let, can I let anyone do anything? Right. 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 Uh, I mean, obviously, like, yeah, we don't encourage sin, but it's like we also are not going to encourage a legalistic message that says, um, you know, what, once you do sin or backslide, you know. So, and that's kind of the right wing moralism. And and I think on the left, you see. Um, oh, it's just imperative after imperative. Oh, um, imperative after imperative. God. I've been to a lot of, I've heard these sermons in these mainland churches, um, not any of the churches we're at, obviously. <laughs> but in mainline, I mean, it's, um, it's all about, it's all about what, uh, God, uh, what the work God needs you 
to go. How are you? How are you manifesting God's dream in this world? How are you manifesting God's dream in this world? And how are you? How are you bringing the kingdom of God to the world around you? Right? How How are you doing that? Right? It's not about what Christ did for you and that Christ brought the right. This is last Sunday's lectionary, right? Huh. And he he went proclaiming a message of right that the fullness of time had arrived. <laughs> right that the kingdom of god had come near it's here folks right yeah, it's like here. No it is it. here it isn't some future uh social utopia well it will be perfect but it's not like yeah it's it's not something to kind of take and it can easily get political you can tailor it to your you know um and and i think it's uh it's oh this is really fun um i'm just going to capture it up with a quote there's a book <laughs> i'm gonna have to name bump to put another citation in the show notes there's a book uh, called streams of living water by uh rich by uh richard foster and um he, he talks about the the uh and it's a good book because he and i recommend anyone check it out. i'll put the title in it's called streams of living water and he talks about kind of the different strands of spirituality throughout the history of christianity and he talks about their strengths um and what uh you know who examples of people in the Bible or the, like the New Testament, especially and in the, in the history of the church. Uh, for instance, like the holiness tradition is one of the strains of spirituality. Um, the uh, evangelical strand, which he puts like Paul and Augustine and the reformers under, and there's all these strands, and they all have their different charism, right? They all have their different gift, but they all have their way. Uh, they're all there's different ways God worked through them. And but he so he but he lists the pros and cons of all these strands, and he talks about the <laughs> social justice tradition, which you know he talks well about you know kind of the history of it in the nineteenth twentieth century, its strengths, mm-hmm. and um th- and, and I'm going to quote him from this from his book on and, and he talks about the cons of it. Um, this the second uh, one of the perils um, of the social justice tradition is of a str- of a strident legalism, a legalism of its own. And this is a surprise to many because the social justice tradition is the stream with, with the least obvious religi- religiosity, and it is most deeply rooted in human need. But after the holiness tradition, social justice is the stream most prone to rigidity and judgmental, judgmentalism. This is because it operates primarily on the level of action and lifestyle. People can easily be judged on the most superficial of outward standards. People's level of commitment to a simple lifestyle, for example, is often based upon the kind of housing they live in or the transportation they use or clothing they wear. In addition, the the concerns of social justice are so critical to human life that we often cannot bring ourselves to allow the same latitude of differences that we might in other matters. We quickly and harshly condemn people who differ with us on matters, say of abortion or capital punishment or racism, or militarism, or any number of other issues. Standards of who is in and who is out, who is right and who is wrong, become more and more narrowly defined. It is a danger we tend to fall into because the stakes are so high, unquote. More goosebumps. Well, you Uh, just oppressed me with the law, so I just want all your listeners to know I do drive a Prius. I right. I'm not judging. My, I don't care if you. Most of my. It doesn't. It doesn't. It, this is the point of the law, right? Is that you don't have to judge me with it. It judges me regardless, right? One of the things that uh, Mockingbird often likes to do is sometimes law, right? In this in this whole law and gospel can be difficult to understand, right? Especially when people think about the Ten Commandments. They're like, oh, okay, those aren't that hard, right? Ha! 
ha, you're wrong. Go look at the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And then tell me that's not the, but that's neither here nor there. Right, but the, the law, capital L law can be difficult to grasp, especially if you don't really have, you know, like a language, like a religious language to associate it with. So what they often try to do, which is why it like mashes with the culture, is they do look for little L laws, right? Those things that are not, you know, they're not, you know, they're not chiseled in stone tablets, but we know when we violate them. Like if you're an Episcopalian and, you know, uh, are you buying fair trade coffee? Right? Are you, are you driving? Are you driving a Prius? Uh, do you do you at least once a year buy a product where they sell where they give other of that product away for free right like shoes or socks or whatever right it's these it's these and like evangelical like conservative christians have the same things right are are you giving your children the correct uh uh what is it essential oils right are are you are you uh are you homeschooling right uh all of these things but that we create these within this realm of law right which is any sort of demand that's placed on us there are like good laws for our benefit from god and then there are like small l laws that we make ourselves because we just can't stop loving judging and oppressing ourselves under them right um so you weren't oppressing me the reality of law right was oppressing me <laughs> yes do I have no? I drive a Nissan Altima. <laughs> okay. Well, we know where you are on the righteousness ladder. <laughs> yes, right. Very unrighteous <laughs> sinner. I don't know about being a saint. Everyone in Texas, when I was a priest in Texas, everybody had a Prius and a truck. It's like the even down, right? It's just like the via media, if you will. The via media. That's the um, middle way for anyone who's unfamiliar. Yes. Um, so I didn't even know you were in Texas. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I'm going to really shift gears and ask you about TikTok. Okay. So it's actually not, I, I'll be completely honest. It's not really shifting gears that much. Okay. <laughs> like, the ministry on TikTok has literally been from day one. Well, that's not true. From day one, it was like, I'm bored and I'm stuck in quarantine and I'm, I miss all my church people. And uh, my wife wants to make a funny video. So like, let's make a bunch of funny videos for Holy Week because like, you got to laugh or you're going to cry, right? Like that's the way it goes. But what happened super fast, like unbelievably fast is people started finding us on TikTok, right? And like we shared a couple of videos, one of the ones that transferred, you know, translated better to Facebook, we shared them there. And like the Facebook video that we posted had almost 50,000 people like it, which is just like, un like, that's a lot of Episcopalians, right? Like, and it's very niche. Like, it doesn't really, like, it's mostly me just being goofy at church, right? And this community formed around us that suddenly people are asking, like, very real, very hard questions that people at church don't ask me, right? Questions that I would love to be asked by people at church. Like, can you explain Holy Communion to me? Uh, is this a sin? And how do I get forgiven for sins? Like, and, like, these basics of the Christian faith and suddenly like this these floodgates open up and they're like asking all of these questions and trying to be led in the right way that just like oh my gosh okay well I guess this is a community now that I have to be a part of and participate in so you kind of just suck walk that line you suck oh, yeah traffic <laughs> and it's my warning honestly I warn I invite clergy I would love for other 
you know, like inclusive and orthodox clergy to join me on TikTok because there is a ton of work to be done because there's a ton of other Christians on there who just have no problem telling everyone that they're not Christians, that they're going to hell, that if you have any sinning, literally, I so I do morning prayer on TikTok and Facebook now. And somebody the other day hopped in my thing is like, God doesn't listen to your prayers if you have any sin. And I was like, have you, have you read the Bible? I'm just wondering, like, uh, like, have you opened it up and read it? Like, I, I, I have to, like, I had to, I'm, I'm pretty good at ignoring it and going on with the liturgy and doing morning prayer, but I had to stop and laugh because like, if God only listened to people without sin, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Well, actually we wouldn't be in a lot of trouble. Well, he'd only be it. listening to his own son. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? That's probably a best case scenario anyway. Like that honestly is <laughs> only listen to Jesus. Like, don't listen to me. I'm a butthead, right? Like don't do it. Uh, but it's just like so it's just like that all the time right it's just constantly a question of like this is a sin that is a sin if you're not perfect if you're not on fire if you're not doing all these things like you are not a real christian and like i spend so much time on tiktok just telling people that the work and expectation of christ is fulfilled right that god loves them unconditionally that there is nothing that they can do to separate themselves from the love of God in Christ Jesus, that it's fixed, right? And like, this is the, like, this is the beautiful offering, right? That the reformers and this hermeneutic give us is that there is absolutely nothing that you can do to change the faithfulness of Christ <laughs> because it has nothing to do with you in the first place. So if Christ is faithful, then all I have to do is proclaim the gospel, which is, a, which is the promise of Christ's faith, faithfulness in the midst of your unfaithfulness. Right. And like, it's a blessing to be able to tell people this, um, to just say, if you want your sins to be forgiven, I can assure you that that has already happened. <laughs> right? how, how many people, I don't even know how, look, I don't know the temp, I don't know the layout of TikTok because I've never logged on to the thing. It like, and it's funny because I have like, I have a, I'm a youth minister. It's part of what I do at, at where I serve. I, I'm a youth minister and also I work in the school now and I'm around Generation Z all the time, you know, that's what they're called. What they're hand motion yeah and they're all they and like tiktok motions. they all a lot of them tiktok i mean i think it's it was really huge like a year <laughs> and, and like kids were just like they were like it was like study hall which is like the last like 30 minutes of the school day and uh sometimes we get lax like okay you can have your phones back you know you're about mm -hmm. to go home and like because i want to make a tiktok and like i remember there was like these <laughs> five girls that like did like this dance they like made a tiktok i'm like I was like yeah. gosh, I don't understand. It's like it's it's like Vine from you know us millennials know about. So it's exactly like so it's like it's exactly like Vine, except that it's in some ways it's a lot easier to use and there's a lot more people on it, right? So like you have a feed, so you have two feeds. You have the feed of everyone you follow, and then you have the algorithm that it just feeds you new new content, and like it will show you people who you follow in, in your in the, on the for you page, uh, but it won't show you. It'll show you lots of other people, tons of people who you don't follow. Right. So that like the way it works is you make individual content, you make individual videos. And if the algorithm sees fit, <laughs> right, you end up on people's pages. Uh, and like that's how so like there are other clergy who do this way better than me. Um, you should look up Mother Peaches on TikTok. She's a friend of mine. She's a priest, Laura. She's the best. And like her stuff is fantastic. And she has like hundreds of thousands of people who view her stuff. It's unbelievable. I've had exactly three videos like blow up and 
I, I don't really understand. One was just me investments and like it hit like Italian TikTok. So suddenly we're getting hundreds of comments in Italian and I have no idea what's going on. And like my wife took French. So like we sort of get it. And like, we're trying to figure out if these are comments that need to be banned, but we can't tell because we don't speak Italian. But it has like 250,000 views. Oh right? my gosh. You have been like, viewed. You've been seen a quarter of a million times. Like that's, I just can't even fathom that. Like, I'm, you know, we're not, we're not famous people. I mean, you know, we're, <laughs> so. we're, we're no, not in this life. I'm not a famous person at all. In fact, what, uh, I was doing like a youth thing. Cause like I'm the rector at my church, which is like, I'm the senior pastor. Uh, but I'm also the only pastor. So there's no senior or junior. It's just like, I do everything. And I was doing, uh, you know, I was having like a youth thing and my kids are like, you know, father Ben, you have enough followers on TikTok to go live. And I said to do what? And they're like to go live. And I was like, well, what's that? They're like, well, you go live. I was like, well, what do I do? And they're like, go live. I was like, that's not very helpful. So like we started going live uh, and like I, we, ha we quickly had to figure out something to do because it's so awkward to just stand there. There's a lag between the comments. So like, it's super weird. Like, I just started playing Xbox and I'll play Xbox and we'll be live and we'll just be chit-chatting. And then someone will hop in and ask a question and be like, um, you know, and like, it's always hard. Like, it's always super difficult theological questions that I'm just like, button so you kind of just have like, once you're live, it's like a time window of like, people can you can go live for so like, so it's like I a live chat on a YouTube video. Kind of. Correct. Okay. I have I have regrettably gone live for like four hours once because like the conversation was really good. And like, I was playing Xbox, so I don't care. And like, what usually happens is we go live after our baby goes to bed. Right? This is what we were doing. My wife, Ashley, she plays on her phone or does work. I play Xbox. She's reading me the questions because I can't really read them and play Xbox. And then roughly around 1130, we start arguing with each other about like, she's a lawyer, about like arcane theological and legal concepts, usually about ethics. Like We're guaranteed to have a fight roughly around midnight about the ethics of the abortion debate. Uh, when you take into account the future world wherein we have artificial wombs, right? And like that's the it gets it always goes off the rails somewhere, nice. right? It, yeah, um, that is <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, before we close off, uh, Ben, thank you so much for being. I mean, this is I'd love to have you back again. Um, this has been awesome. Um, I have a. Uh, there, there's a couple, there's a quotes from a couple articles um, I wanted to read uh, that I, I'll just put the links for them in the, okay. um, can I do, can I, can I do something before you close your class? Yeah, do, yeah, I want to, I want to give an exhortation to your, to your listeners. Okay. Right. Yeah. That is uh, the distinction between law and gospel uh, was one of the most profound and fundamental experiences in my life as a Christian. It's what made me fully embrace and understand the grace of God. Uh, it's what allows me to remain in the Episcopal Church, even when I feel like maybe I, you're right, who knows what's going to happen with the future holds. Uh, it's the thing that gives me hope in the darkest parts of my life. So that when you are preparing for, to preach or to teach or to do however you're living as a Christian, I just always want to remind everyone uh, that it's finished, right? That the work of God is done, that the gospel is true, and that God's grace uh, is overwhelmingly, all-consumingly for you in God's love and compassion. 
And that if you can cling to that and avoid imperatives and just tell people that God loves them in the midst of their difficulty, um, you'll be okay. We'll all be okay. Thank you so much for that. It is finished, right? Um, I think I'm going to pull our show title from something you said in that last exhortation because like there was so much good bit and like one of that one of those things is going to be the title of this episode, not the show title. The show title is not protesting. The episode title is what I mean. Uh, and as that, I lay die, <laughs> as I lay die. Oh my Metal god! And- <laughs> Wasn't that like a classic literature book? Then the band, yeah, <laughs> William Faulkner. It's a good book. Oh, yeah, it is William Faulkner. That, uh, that's I live in the South, and I should well, I'm a Yankee. Okay, um, so I, and I so I will close with this one quote because um, I, I I realize a way I can shorten it. But this was from so this was a sometimes um, Mockingbird will put up quotes from a book, someone on there who writes, was reading recently, like, gosh, this is like, you know, profound, and they put it up. And this was from, Mockingbird shared this, but it's from a book called, um, oh gosh, uh, where is it? It is from a book called... The Bible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, here I found it. It's from a book called (laughs) Ask Him Anything by Lloyd Ogilvie. Uh, who's a minister. And I'll go ahead and share the quote from it. The Lord's love does not fail however much we fail him. Peter had built his whole relationship with Jesus Christ on his assumed capacity to be adequate. That's why he took the denial of the Lord so hard. That's why he took his denial of the Lord so hard. His strength and loyalty and faithfulness faithfulness were his self-generated assets of discipleship. The fallacy in Peter's mind was this. He believed he believed his relationship was dependent on his consistency in producing the qualities he thought had earned him the Lord's approval. Many of us face the same problem. We project onto the Lord our own measured standard of acceptance. Our whole understanding of him is based in a quid pro quo of bartered love. He will love us as if we are good, moral, and diligent. But we have turned the tables. We try to live so that he will love us rather than living because he has already loved us. Amen. And now the peace of the Lord which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen. I just had to do a blessing at the end of that. It just came. It was the Spirit. Amen. Um, Ben, thank you so much, brother. Um, This episode will be up shortly. And uh, thank you. God bless you. Thanks, bud. Hi, and thank you for listening. This is Reverend Andrew Christensen again. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and don't forget to check out our previous episodes of Doff Protest Too Much. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or another streaming service that lets you rate and review our show, please do so. Five stars, one star, however you honestly feel, we can take it and would love and appreciate your feedback. Also, for any further questions or suggestions for our show, please email me at doffprotesttoomuchpodcast at gmail.com. God bless your day.